0: Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy. With me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz.
1: Matthew, how are you? I'm not dead. How are you? I am also alive. (laughs) Woo! And everybody listening, I I would hope, is uh, also living. So that's... We're all doing great. Oh my god, (laughs) they use this podcast at funerals.
0: (laughs) 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 Our smooth voices to console (laughs) the grieving.
1: All right. Oh man, but I'm doing I'm doing good. Um, Sorry, you really, are. You, sometimes you take me by surprise. I know. I, I never I know what's threw going the rug to come out, out of your from, mouth from and under you. yeah.
0: <laughs> So for the first minute of every show, I'm like, shoot,
1: <laughs> he took me in a place I did not expect to go. Oh, man. Let's enter an awkward pause. So you're you're at the final Rayman game. That's like the 3D platformer. And I am. It, yes, and so. I'm really excited about what's coming next, but I'm also curious about uh, your thoughts on this, this last one.
0: I did, like most people, I did, uh, or most people our age, we stopped playing Rayman after Rayman 2 and weren't even aware Rayman 3 came out and were playing Halo or other things. Um, So I was actually kind of excited to play Rayman 3 um, after the first and second game. And uh, I guess what's most interesting to me is what happened with Rayman 3 that the series basically died for eight years yeah do you and do you have a well, like a thought on that i think as i review these games and kind of piece my way through i'm past the 90s now i'm trying to focus more on the 2000s um, and i think we've talked about this before i think the 3d platformer pretty much died for everybody but mario yeah, it's, it's... I think the galaxy titles and whatnot were basically it. Nothing else survived except for the Mario games and I I think it's because and I've probably said this before, in the 80s we can see a ton of genres dying. Um, like the Maze game, which really, you know, the cl- Maze Pac-Man game, Yeah, exactly. Pac-Man clones. There was a ton of them in the 80s. Most of them that we can't remember and I cannot remember any off the top of my head. And then in the 90s we also saw basically like the shoot-em-up or the shmup die. Um, after the the Genesis and Neo Geo and PC Engine, and to a lesser extent Super Nintendo, these games became very niche on the PlayStation and the Saturn. In fact, there was only one Shmup released on the North American Nintendo 64. And then, uh, you know, that, that was pretty much it. Now it's an extremely niche genre just like the 3D platformer, just like the Maze game, and I think that's it. I think by time we hit 2003 everything that you could do with a 3d platformer had been done and nobody cared anymore
1: it's what in- were you playing in 2003 do you remember oh well yeah it was probably halo 2 i think halo 2 was yeah. out by then um that was wow. like my jam for for a good while i think still to this day i don't think anything can beat the the matchmaking that that game had before the cheating started
0: so I think that's exactly it if we look at you know we're in our mid-30s or early 30s, if we want to be optimistic, and in 2003, us with disposable income, we were playing on Xbox Live, we were playing Halo 2, we were playing, you know, we were getting started with the Call of Duty franchise, we were playing other things. Basically, I think the first person shooter and online play uh killed the 3D platformer, it just that was it. And there is nothing like Rayman 3 is not a you know, it's not a galaxy game, it's not not an amazing you know, experience that everyone should play. It's it's kind of an average game, if I'm honest. So I did beat it twice. Uh, it sounds like there were some elements to the combat that the game never explains and that I had missed. And uh, that's unfortunate, but there's not much I can do about it. But as a whole, I stand by the fact that the game has some weak combat, some really good platforming. It looks great. I mean, it looks like a first, you know, it looks like a, you know, a A title from 2003. It's really beautiful frame rate textures atmosphere music it's just you know it was the wrong game at the wrong time yeah
1: you know you've really got my mind uh sort of rolling around thinking about um genre death and Mm -hmm. the what is the genesis of it and i'm beginning to wonder obviously okay so like we were talking about you know in in the 2000s our age our income our likes all dictated what we what we were playing you know xbox playing online cussing people out um (laughs) like it's like i'm a i'm an adult right now (laughs) so this is what i'm gonna do and um you know i i think that there's definitely something to do with um like the shoot 'em up its heritage comes from the arcade and so you had a generation of people who who grew up you know um playing Galaga or whatever those kinds of games and then when the consoles came out it's like oh, i can still play these style of games um there as well and so you have that audience go with it and then you've got like the the cream of the crop happens at some point near wh- wherever the peak is and that's like the greatest uh shoot 'em ups you know live in that that period of time and then it's just it's got to be tied to Um, you know, early, early, uh, experience playing a game or a specific genre and, and it's sort of growing up with it. And then that audience, uh, is the audience that was like raised on it. And as it matured, they matured with it, but they, you know, it kind of neglects, uh, bringing in new people. And then there's always like that tail and it just kind of falls off. And I think you could probably, if you really thought about it, you could you could pick those genres and figure out that generation and like what where that peak was and and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to kind of think about, and it would be interesting to use that knowledge to try to predict what the next genre death will be.
0: What year will the first person shooter die?
1: <laughs> oh man, I don't know that 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 necessarily will ever happen. It that's almost like a i don't know that's almost like a gameplay mechanic that just i was gonna say i think the first person
0: as a um like a mechanic like a gameplay mechanic obviously is is pretty good yeah and i don't see that dying but i mean i have well, no idea but what certainly pub or fortnite is but obviously those are the two biggest things but at we can moment we could time it
1: not... yeah but we could time of death and call it with a uh, battle royale modes right now they're the, they're the thing it's almost yeah. like they're they're the Macarena of gaming right now, you know? <laughs> like they're it's that they you know, they're almost suffering from an opposite problem. They're so popular that they may fad out, you know, that that it's such a trend and it's like it, you know, when ABC news is covering your game, um it's it, at some point it's going to become uncool.
0: Didn't that isn't that like a family guy thing? When family guy references something <laughs> in popular culture, that is the moment it dies. Yeah, that's peak uh peak popularity right there. There you go. So So yeah, I it's fine. I would recommend it for ten God, this microphone keeps getting higher and lower.
1: Yeah, I'm having I should have
0: rebooted. Uh. Um yeah. Sorry for the clipping. Anyway, for $10, it's fine. It's a decent Xbox ga- or it's a decent game. It's a really good looking Xbox game, but honestly, like I understand that people grew up with this game and played it every day after school and know the ins and outs better than I ever will. But from like a, a non-nostalgic viewpoint, I, I don't think it's that great. It's a fine game. It's a good game. It's not an amazing game. And, uh, you know, in some ways you have to kind of give credit to Ubisoft for, just moving down a different path and trying other
1: things, rather than you know beating a dead horse. Yeah, and going back, you know, it's funny because they go back to the the or the next one they call it Rayman Origins, and and uh, but it like it goes back to it. It doesn't play the same way as you know the first uh, the early Rayman, Rayman. games, yeah. but but it does go back to the 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 two D platforming thing and um i i really i'm excited to see what you what you think about all that
0: yeah that's kind of i'm right now i'm playing shantae half genie hero on the wii u i've probably put four or five hours into it this weekend yeah and um i'm really digging that i've put a few hours into rayman origins which i really dig and now i'd kind of like to finally play the uh the ducktales remastered which kind of kicked off if memory serves me right kind of kicked off the high definition 2d platformer
1: yeah, that was a big that was a big deal when that got announced. I, yeah. So yeah. there's like this
0: whole new more modern genre of 2D platforming uh platformers that I'm excited to dive into and uh yeah. So it, I guess it leads to that. But okay. yeah, i'm going to talk more about rayman 3 as a youtube video um i guess probably in an hour or so (laughs) but it's behind me and i'm happy what about you what have you been playing
1: well i've mentioned ghost recon uh this is my dad game like tom game ghost recon wildlands so this is like tom clancy so i'm a dad now and so i just i officially smoke cigars Talk about the good old days and read. Tom do you Clancy. have a
0: bathrobe?
1: <laughs> I do, actually, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not silk though, so I guess that's uh, you know. But uh, no slippers yet, so I'm, I'm not get all. I haven't gone full dad. Uh, but yeah, Ghost Recon Wildlands Gant- is this game that I sort of I've gone back to playing again and again with a buddy of mine, and uh, I've realized I've I've called it uh, a game that I hate play where. It's partially sunken costs where I've put so much time into it and I'm so close to the end kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, I might as well finish, um, you know, and, and so I've beaten it. I've 100% it. The I won't talk too much about it. It's just that it's, it, it became one of those games where I just sort of gritted my teeth and just kept coming back to it. And there'd be moments where I'm like, ah, you know, it's not so bad, uh, but definitely the ending wasn't uh, anything to talk about about you basically open a door and watch the uh, last scene play so uh but besides that it it, it's just one of those games that i sort of hate played and i asked on on twitter just to see what what people if they had any games that were like that and um did you have like a any game that is something something like that a game that you go and you you might not like or even you know you might think it sucks but for some reason you'll you'll come back and play it every once in a while or just sort of pick it up and go through it (laughs) um i don't think i have a good example of what you're explaining
0: but i i think i definitely hate played sonic adventure 2 (laughs) which is a game i think is poor and unfun and broken and i really don't like it at all and uh for those that love that game and think it's the greatest sonic game ever i apologize um I've already spoke my whatever 6000 words of peace about that game but that is finishing that game for me I did not want to do it I did not enjoy it the final team up level and the final two bosses I think took me 3 or 4 hours and it was the most painful experience that I've ever had in my life and I thought it was awful <laughs> and um yeah that that that's I If I didn't have a YouTube channel, I would never finish that game. I, I, it would have, my hate would have been beyond hate played. I would have just, I would have stopped like I did the last time and I would have just never finished it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like more modern games probably hit this sort of thing um, that I'm talking about. And I think, I think it does come down to that, that sort of that sunken cost fallacy where you, you, you've like, I, you know, I spent so much time on this. Um, a lot of these open world games, I think, fall fall within that. Uh, but Vince19, a guy we've talked about, he said that FIFA is one of the ones that, uh, for him, and I can see a lot of sports games being something like that, uh, where, you, you know, you have your favorite team or whatever, and it's the only, it's the only game that you could even play them on. And so, like the Maddens, you know, you come back to year after year and just kind of, go through go through the motions (laughs) you know (laughs) um and then i follow you okay i think i'm understanding the hate played a little more (laughs) yeah bart versus the space space mutants jeremy nichols said that yeah i haven't played that one have you I, what system is it? Do you know?
0: CNES, uh, I believe. If I, if I'm going to guess that if you still play Simpsons games, <laughs> it has to be it's a just hate fandom. Play. Yeah. Are exactly. there any
1: good Simpsons games? The arcade game, I guess, could fall under that. Ah, it's a really good okay. beat-em-up. Okay, Konami
0: you know? beat-em-up. Yeah. Okay. So. But
1: weren't most of the oh, yeah. home
0: games of
1: yeah, nefarious th- quality, I would say so. That, am I, mean, I misremembering? There's uh that one, uh, uh you know, on the uh Gen Six, was it the the racing? The uh oh yeah, hit and run, hit and run. Okay, yeah. yeah I'm
0: thinking more classic games. I think hit and run was. I think there might be some modern Simpson games that aren't so bad.
1: Yeah, and then running. But I
0: feel like yeah, the NES, the Super. That was like um, Beavis and bunthead Like most of those games were really not very good.
1: Yeah, but yeah, if you're a fan of something, you know, I. I remember the uh, the Stargate movie had a, a game tie-in, and it, that was just horrible. <laughs> it's like one of the worst Super Nintendo games I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So you, I, I see here you've got a note about the Super NT. Did you get one? I did. <gasps> Do we need to mention the last one? Oh, Stephen Eider. Yeah, Stephen Eider uh I've been on uh, his uh, podcast in uh quite uh, like almost three years ago i think uh he says he worries that God of War three might become that the god of the old god of war games I can totally see that too because uh there's like the really great parts about it and then it does kind of fall under repetition a bit <laughs> so i can I can see how that goes oh um, yeah. I yeah.
0: dread my future of playing brand new <laughs> games that I just grind through. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it's, uh, the infectious disease in, in modern gaming is the RPG mechanic, the leveling of skills or items or whatever in any any. Uh, genre of game, even like an FPS where you're like leveling up a gun. <laughs> I was talking to a local
0: game store owner or partner or whatever you want to say, and I. I'm not very good at asking other people. Like people ask me questions, you ask me questions, and I'm not always good at remembering to reciprocate the favor and ask you a question.
1: <laughs> I, know happens, I, know. No, um, I, I know what you're talking about. That happens
0: in real life too. No,
1: I know what you're talking about.
0: So whoever ever meets me in real life, I'm 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 just I'm not the best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you're, you're in your mind, you're like, man, they must think I'm a self-absorbed jerk. <laughs> but but you're not because you're constantly thinking about, man, I should have like I didn't think to do this it's or that hindsight it's all hindsight right exactly.
0: so i'm like so it's always like oh so you played through rayman 2 and i'm like yeah blah 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 and i'm like oh yeah what have you been playing and it was like monster hunter world or whatever the latest monster hunter game is so i've listened to him and i ask questions like what is monster hunter and then like how many hours can you pour into one of these games and it's like hundreds Oh, yeah, Yeah. I've put a couple hundred hours into
1: Monster Hunter 4 and like my head explodes. I'm like, what? (laughs) I know some of these games are like second jobs. When I talk to some of my friends about it, I'm like, wow, that's a big dedication there.
0: (laughs) I I don't know. I, I, I guess I, you know, if I had one job instead of two, maybe I could really sink my teeth into something like that. Yeah, and obviously the games must be you know sensational if if people are able to put three, four, five hundred hours into them. But
1: holy cow, I don't have that kind of attention span. I don't think. Just you know, there's something about, and I think that's what the indie game market sort of fills. There's that like, I just want a six-hour experience, you know and maybe a game where it's about me getting better as a player and, and the sort of the modern equivalent of that is your dark souls games and, and, and those, that uh, area. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I think it's sort of underestimated. I, I just, I don't know. They, they, these games are so, uh, it feels a lot of them can feel shallow where you're just realizing this is a lot of padding. It's, <laughs> it, it's funny to think about like the, you know, the, nes games they were designed in a way where it's like we want to prevent rentals we want you to buy the game you know it's and it has that
0: maximize rentals
1: yeah well yeah that's true and and but it has that like um you know you've really got to improve as a player that's why it's so those games were so punishing as a kid because you just didn't have the kind of thinking and, and attention span that you needed to realize how to become a better player with certain certain games back, back in, in, uh, during that time. But as you get to like your teens, you start to think about them in a different way and get, and really improve. But like, so what made the game long was that you had to get better as a player. And now modern games, it feels like a lot of what makes a game long is that it's just a lot of junk and you're just f- shoveling it down and just going through it. Uh, and maybe not necessarily sort of growing as a, as a player, uh, when you when you play a, some of these really big games where you're spending you know forty sixty hundred hours in them, but I think that w- games like Monster Hunter it's a little different and there's a lot of uh, engagement and and sort of stats statman maxing stuff that that people really dig.
0: It's so I feel so behind at times <laughs> in gaming because I just I have no idea what Monster Hunter is. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So I did end up buying a super NT and this is from, I think, analog. I always want to say analog interactive, but I think it's just analog. So this is an FPGA super Nintendo that came out, uh, I think at the beginning of the year. And, uh, I, I want to say like a month ago, they got in another, like a second restock, but only of the black ones. Mm. And I don't really want a black one, or I didn't really want a black one. I kind of just wanted the gray one with the purple buttons, um, because I also have the um, the retro USB AVS, which is the FPGA NES, and it kind of has NES styling cues. And I so I wanted a Super NT that kind of had Super Nintendo styling cues. But then I kind of decided I the Genesis is black, and that looks pretty badass. Like if it's here, <laughs> it's available. I have the funds at the present time to you know buy it and i've got some games i want to play on the super nintendo and the super game boy so there's no time like the present i've been battling for i guess all year trying to decide if i wanted to get my um snes mini or snes junior rgb modded um and then stick with original hardware a uh, or if i wanted to go the fpga route and i finally did decide on the fpga route um because it's simple to use than RGB modding a SNES and feeding it through two different video scalers and things like that. So it's just really easy to plug it right into a TV or a capture card and you're ready to go. Um, then too, if I want to move it from my game room to my, you know, recording studio, I say that in quotation marks, um, you know, that's really easy. And, it probably isn't going to break. There probably isn't capacitors and things that are going to leak, you know, right. as the years go by. I'm not going to have to worry about it breaking. And um, if 20 or 30 years from now, if I need to sell it, it will probably retain its value better than an original Super Nintendo that sold 60 million or whatever. Well, yeah, and uh, I recall well, that... God, in 30 years, you're not even going to be able to do anything with a Super Nintendo. <laughs> there won't be any <laughs> ports on a TV for that.
1: Oh, that's true. You're going to have to have all kinds of HDMI, adapters. Yeah, yeah, HDMI will
0: probably be around for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. Well, the other nice thing, I mean, uh, the developer had that interview, you know, the dozens of videos that came out when this thing came out, um, but with the uh, My Life in Gaming guys, he was talking about how he's left room in some of the memory for, you know, improvements and things like that as well. So it's something I already, I already need to do a firmware upgrade. So yeah, exactly. So he's, you know, he's, there's a, it can get better over time too, as far as its capabilities and and things like that are concerned. And, but that's, that's really awesome.
0: It is. And, and I'm, I feel kind of, I'm very lucky um, because of Patreon, to be honest with you the I get about 85 to hundred dollars a month from the the 20 to 24 people on average that give up their hard-earned money and support the patreon campaign and um, so so far this year I've been able to upgrade my capture card to the Elgato HD60 uh, which has been very helpful and will be helpful uh, will be pretty much mandatory once I get to origins and legends for Rayman um, but is also proving itself useful for older Stuff as well. And then um also thou now the super NT. So kind of without that. Without the show itself having income, I wouldn't really be able to buy these two things this year. So I feel very lucky that I've even been able to do it without impacting like my normal life budget. So that's kind of awesome. And I I can't thank those, you know, those 25 people enough, like that's pretty huge. And then it's also kind of important for me that, you know, with that money that does come into the show, that it's used on the show. Um, so hopefully the people that, you know, spend the, the one to, to $10 or someone even spends $25, you know, that they're seeing, you know, that they're actually contributing to the show. So I would like to finally get to, I said, I was going to review an RPG. So that will probably be using the super NT. And then I still have to pick that NES hard game that I mentioned at the turn of the new year, but yeah. So I feel really lucky, but with that, I will say it, $230 Two hundred and thirty dollars with shipping does kind of feel like a lot to me. Yeah, I it, so I think it says it's like one eighty nine or one ninety nine, but when you add shipping onto that as well, like two thirty without a controller is is a
1: loss. Yeah, it's a a big uh, chunk of money to to put down for something. Do you think? Do you ever think? Uh, I mean, given that it's F, FPGA and all that stuff can get smaller anyways. Do you think there'll ever be a significant price drop? I mean, I'd- if
0: they, you, well, we know, you know, the, the FPGA that's in there, the actual chip is, should just be a mass, well, relatively mass produced item that is used on a number of applications that are probably not even video game related. Um, you know, the board of course is custom. So there's always going to be an increased cost because of that. I wonder, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about manufacturing an old clone console, so I wonder where the main cost comes from. Is it the chip? Is it the board? Is it the you know spending? I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars to to make a mold for the plastic. The you know how much Kevtris is you know obviously a brilliant coder. You know his time is not free. He was paid for six months or eight months or twelve months worth of work. So I I guess I don't know where the cost. Yeah, I don't know where. Where the cost comes from so maybe 230 is as good as it gets i will say the retro usb avs the nes fpga from the other company is i think 50 dollars cheaper so there's you know that's a pretty that's a significant dip in price
1: yeah i imagine most of the if they could ever you know, make it cheaper. They would they would take the the better margins because this isn't something that would be in necessarily huge demand. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 fact that they've got to order these parts probably some of them are are coming from overseas. They've got to make orders in bulk, and you know that's there's a lot of risk involved in and in something like that where it's like okay, if we order another hundred thousand, are we sure they're going to move? Uh, that kind of thing, and and you know they're weighing. They've got to be weighing between that. And it's like, well, if we double that amount, we're going to, you know, our margins will be this much better, but will, will they sell or not? And, and, you know, like you're saying with the black, the, probably the reason why the black is on reorder and available is because that's the one that's in most popular. Uh, I would
0: think it was the opposite. I would think the black would be least popular. I would guess that they had a bunch of black shells lying around and needed to use them up. That was (laughs) that's another
1: possibility. Yeah. It really depends i mean if you see another restock on the black i guess it's we all we're doing at that point is just guessing but uh they're either ready or they aren't Um, what would
0: you get would you get the super nintendo colored one the super famicom colored one the translucent one or the black one
1: i do the i'd probably do the og uh us uh, like the snes look yeah I would, I mean, that would be my preference. Um, so there you go. So.
0: 100% of gamers would rather have the gray one. <laughs> we pulled 100%.
1: <laughs> Two out of three gamers agree.
0: This is very scientific. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying, though? I, well, I mean, that's my, it doesn't even matter to me, I guess. That's true.
1: I mean, it, it doesn't. It, the market is, it looks whatever nice it is.
0: next to the Wii U. So, yeah. you know, that's it, nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, well, I I just think that's I the whole FPGA thing, dude, is so exciting, and to see where this is headed, uh, it's it's really exciting to to see. And and we talked about it a couple episodes ago, but you know these CD-ROM uh consoles are are or uh, these uh disk drive based ones are are going to die even quicker uh from inception date to you know where these cartridge based uh, systems are able to last a lot longer and so it'll be interesting to see what they do how they sweep in and uh continue on and into that that space as well so that should be interesting to see
0: it's a good way to preserve history and i it's not really emulation but no it kind of is emulation it doesn't It it's did i accurate. commit that
1: sin did i say emulation at any point i hope not no no, no. no okay, you didn't <laughs> So speaking of disc-based games, and uh, oh, you're so good! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so preservation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Shinmu one and two are being re-released. Uh, yeah, how crazy is that? It's, it's it's interesting because I've never really gotten a chance to play this. I had the uh, the one that was uh, I think it was Shinmu two that was on the Xbox. Yeah. With the uh it came with a DVD quote movie movie of uh Shinmu 1, but I never got a, I never have I've actually been able to sit down and and play it and I think I ended up going in the store anyways, but uh I think we both have the same thoughts on on this you know, in in general, but uh did you watch the trailer? I did watch
0: the trailer. So the trailer for one it's going to be Steam, Xbox 1, PS4 no switch and it will be out this year and from my understanding it sounds like it's sega of europe that is fronting the bill for this adventure
1: interesting i've got the volume down the trash guys coming by right now (laughs) (laughs) so the first thing i noticed
0: then when i watched the trailer is that this is not like the crash insane trilogy it is not like the spyro reignited trilogy as far as i can tell this is the dreamcast assets being ported to modern hardware and it looks a little rough it sounds a little rough
1: yeah the sound especially and i don't think there's anything they can do about that because i'm pretty sure they didn't uh i remember watching the gdc on on shenmue and i don't think they kept uh, like the, the original. original recordings. Yeah, so it's all that compressed, really crushed sounding. I I called it four bits in the in the notes. It's not that yeah. bad, but it sure it's. T-
0: the quality is not very good. Um, I did recently, I think in 2016, play through Shenmue on the Dreamcast in its entirety. And I did notice, you know, listening through a stereo or the headphones, that, uh, oh, wow, this is some really compressed audio <laughs> compared to what you would expect from something modern. Now, I didn't notice it back in 2000 through TV speakers, of course. But it's- it is something I notice now. And just... Yeah, I worry. I what, worry that what's on having brain? more and more people play Shenmue, especially if it's not an enhanced remake with brand new textures and brand new models, I I think, what if everybody hates it and like the Shenmue reputation is just shattered forever?
1: Do you think that's part of it? Do you think that it has... It's reputation like precedes itself that it has this aura almost I'll say about it where it's sort of the game industry as a whole, the like, you know, the, the journalists and the reviewers and, and, um, more of the, the, uh, cultured gamer, I guess you could say, um, you know, there. Th- th- let's let's say I think it's emotion.
0: I think so. Take games that have only ever been been released on obscure hardware. So like Tempo or Calibri on the Sega Thirty Two X have never been re released on anything else. Um, have the Bonks Adventure and Bonks Revenge ever been released on anything but the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics?
1: Uh, I'm not gonna say they haven't. I feel like there's been something on the portable space okay but i could be wrong um oh yeah there's the
0: virtual console so scratch that um let's use a different example um oh like gosh i just had one in my head and it disappeared half the atari jaguar library right Um, these games were only they only made five to ten maybe twenty thousand of these cartridges and since there's been a particular group of fans that have basically just, you know, spent most of their lives destroying the Jag community. These games will only ever be played by a few thousand people. So, those few thousand people kind of dictate the conversation as to how great Iron Soldier for the Atari Jaguar is or Alien vs. Predator for the Atari Jaguar. Those games are not very good. Uh, neither of them are very good but if you talk to any jag fan they will say those are top five Jag games must owns if atari was in better financial shape the jaguar would have tr- you know trashed the playstation because the quality of these two games is so amazing yeah and the, so yeah, to bring that back in so there's like an emotional there's a group of people that kind of own it because nobody else gets to play it Shenmue on the Dreamcast can only be played on the Dreamcast, and I mean, they didn't sell a million copies of Shenmue, maybe 400,000, 500,000. Uh, across the globe so there's only so many people that ever played it to begin with and there's only so many people that ever played it anyway so when people talk about Shenmue being one of the greatest games of all time the average person kind of can't go back and make that determination for themselves and I think if we were all a little honest with each other we can kind of agree that okay if Shenmue really was the greatest game of all time then the Dreamcast would have sold 100 million and systems and we would look at Shenmue would have been the sales success that Grand Theft Auto three ended up being.
1: You know, I a long time ago I asked this question um, just to kind of get people's ideas of it, and I think Shenmue might fall under this, but it's it's sort of the Citizen Kane of video games. And what I mean by that is like everyone knows Citizen Kane, very few people have watched it, and those that have have lied about how much they liked it. <laughs> 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 I bought when Citizen Kane
0: was re-released. It has a it had a Blu-ray release, and I bought it. So it's like this big fat black thing. It's got books in it. It's got the Blu-ray in it. It's got all sorts of stuff in it. And I watched it, and it's a fine film, and it's visually impressive. But like, I've only watched it once. I've never gone back and rewatched it.
1: And it's that, that's the thing is, it is a ground ba- like Citizen Kane, just like Shinmu, is groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. But in a lot of other ways, it's also not holding up in, 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 uh, in a way. And so. You know what a good example might be? Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I totally know what you're talking about because it's a film I love to watch. But I also know that for most people, you put that film on and they're going to fall asleep. Um, and it, 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 it influenced. That's the thing. Just like you're, you, I think you're right with mm-hmm. the Blade Runner comparison. It influenced the future so much, and and I mean, really, the open world genre itself. Uh, you know, a lot of if you don't look at the PC, you know, like if you pretend like PC never existed before Shinmu it is like one of the first three D open world games that like you know has day night thing going on, and and uh it's impressive. It really it is, and especially I mean, if you. Like the how they worked around the technical limitations, in particular how much memory they could load at a given moment, and and that kind of stuff. It is really fascinating, and and it is a living world too, and it's amazing that they were able to to get all that working. Um, It's really astonishing. Um, But you know, as a as a uh, piece of art, maybe that you would consume, it not necessarily doesn't uh, doesn't age uh, that favorably. And I think you know the audience can't turn against it because like we're talking about not that many people have actually played it uh so it gets to keep its its uh kind of a uh, regard that it, that it holds in certain people's minds uh whereas like i'm noticing with ocarina of time it's yeah it's sort of it's uh <laughs> the opinion on it is sort of the pendulum swinging the other way now yeah Um, and so
0: or sonic adventure 2 same thing it was released on the gamecube the review scores were significantly worse it was re-released on the ps3 and xbox 360 just a high def refresh no new textures or anything just in 720p the review scores dropped another couple of points and now most people would say sonic adventure 2 is not the greatest 3d platformer of all time yeah
1: so to go back to what you're saying about you know, you're worried that this might actually kind of hurt Shenmue III. I think is is really what you're trying to, or like the implication. I think I think that's a. a it, it could be possible for someone who's never played Shenmue.
0: Everything you just said over the last five minutes is pretty spot on.
1: Oh, it nice. is,
0: yeah. Uh, Yeah, it it set the stage for the future of gaming, and a lot of what it did, you know, even quick-time events, you know, stuff like that is all still used to this very day. Now, I do think Shenmue is a very good game. I I enjoy playing it. I will—I think it's a 17-hour game, and I would have no problem sitting—spending a couple of days back in that world and and having a blast— but I think if I was to, you know, a lot of that is nostalgia. A lot of that is that transports me back to the year 2000, you know, when I was still in high school, you know, before the PlayStation 2 came out, I felt like I was part of the secret club that had access to all these amazing games that were so far ahead of the PlayStation n 64, you know, all the hype that kind of built around it, even just beating the game as we kind of talked about, like, it's not normal for me to sit down and beat a 20 plus hour game. And I did it. So I like all of those memories, but I'm afraid like if let's say a million people that didn't have that nostalgia played it, I don't know how many would share that view.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see. um it'll be interesting i wonder if there's any major outlets that are going to do sort of a, a review on it or re uh, re-review or i don't know uh, what
0: you- i'm what i'm learning with youtube is that as this nears release um there are going to be a lot of reviews of shenmue 1 and 2 i will definitely at least review shenmue to get you know, to catch up on that hype train, maybe get through Shenmue too as well, while the franchise is still you know relevant for its for its fifteen minutes of fame coming up. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be very reviewed. And I think that people that are not 35, that are, you know, 25 and reviewing Shenmue, I, I think they're going to be like people going back and playing Ocarina of Time. Like, whoa, hang on, old people. <laughs> this game's got some problems. <laughs> yeah, dad. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah. This game sucks. Your, Go read your Tom Clancy novels and listen to your, you know, your Bee Gees. Like, yeah, this is, you guys are wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I, that's, that's, I, I think that's what will happen.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. So, no, it's
0: exciting. I, I would like to play it, I guess, own it again in, in high definition. And, you know, that that's really cool that exists. I just, there's that piece of the back of my mind like, eh, maybe that door shouldn't be reopened. Maybe some doors are better left closed.
1: Yeah, don't, don't go back and watch your favorite cartoons as a kid because you're going to be... A lot of times you're going to be disappointed and be like, wow. This is- oh my God. i
0: watched, um, I bought Bambi on Laserdisc. When is the last time you watched
1: Bambi? I, I think I've really only seen it. I, I do think I saw it in the theaters and one of those times that it was like re-released, uh, with my mom and, uh, was very traumatized yeah uh. well <laughs>
0: it's bad it, it's it's almost it's it's not very good no yeah a lot no. of those early I wish Disney. I would not have watched it again because yeah. it totally destroyed it for me
1: yeah Dumbo I think I tried watching Dumbo a while like recently and it's like ooh.
0: this isn't what I remember <laughs> oh Pete's Dragon is another one the the live action animated thing from oh, yeah. the 70s or whenever it came out You know, I found that on DVD for like 99 cents and like, holy cow, that movie's like two and a half hours long and the plot is razor thin and the songs aren't that interesting. And I'm like, this is not what I remember from my childhood at all. This is almost unwatchable. Oh, so anyway, I don't think people will find Shenmue unplayable like I find Pete's Dragon unwatchable. But man, sometimes things maybe should just stay in the past, I guess is what I'm trying to
1: say so speaking of things that were held in high regard and aren't any longer or may not be Billy Mitchell's in the news again with the, uh, the twin galaxies, uh, you know who Billy Mitchell reminds me of, I
0: think, is it Roger Stone? Is that the, the political guy that doesn't care if his reputation is good or bad? I don't know. Yes, it is. It's Roger Stone. If you want to watch like the most fascinating, like, political documentary ever there's a documentary called get me roger stone and like as i watched that whenever i watched it, i'm like oh my god this is like billy mitchell's mo he really doesn't (laughs) care if he people think he's a hero or a villain as long as people are
1: thinking about him and talking about him that's all that matters yeah i mean if he wants to he can spin this into a, a documentary or a book so uh he could even have a special, um, you know, hot sauce. God, he could like, you know. <laughs> Did we say why he's in the news? We, didn't. Did, I, did, we didn't. did I move past that? <laughs> no, <Okay>. we didn't.
0: <laughs> Billy Mitchell. So he is basically, all of his records ever in his entire life have been erased from history. Twin galaxies. And then because of that, the Guinness Book of World Records have removed him from all of their scoreboards.
1: And this Beak. is due to uh, this con- is yeah no, sorry
0: you can go and that's due to his that video that showed he was using an emulator and not arcade hardware uh, while he was breaking the Donkey Kong
1: um world record yeah it was and the video in particular if you, if you're not going to go watch it basically frame by frame the way that the screen is drawn you can determine that's actually using emulation and which one you know specific uh. Because there's a couple different uh, style of uh, like mame emulation. Yeah, so the way
0: mame and the way well different versions of mame versus actual hardware draws the graphics isn't the same for whatever reason. And yeah, so this was pointed out in some forums, we reported on that a couple of weeks ago, that Apollo, or months ago, the Apollo Legend video really hit it huge, and I guess Twin Galaxies was bought by, I don't know, it was bought by somebody else three or four years ago, and they have now basically created some sort of system where these old scores can actually be challenged, and the people that are employed at this company now will actually review old records. They allow them to be disputed, and they determined no. There was enough janky records by Billy Mitchell that we are 100% confident in as being false um, that we're done. He's he's off the whole board altogether.
1: Yeah, and one of the reasons, I believe one of the reasons why Donkey Kong, it's so important that it's played on on cabinet hardware is because the game is leans on uh, heavily on, uh, RNG or I was like going to say, I think
0: there is some, yeah, random number generation.
1: Right. And so if you're using an emulator and you, you know, potentially a custom ROM or whatever, however you want to call that, uh, it's possible for you to fudge, uh, those, those events, uh, to make things favor you a bit more, maybe, maybe make the play a little bit easier. Um, and so I think that's really one of the main reasons why like Donkey Kong in particular, it, it's such a big deal. But it is kind of, it's bitters- bittersweet for Steve Wiebe. Um You know, the, the, now he does, he get, he, he can claim to be the first to get a million, million one points. million points. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I wrote a bunch of quotes here because I thought they were interesting. So every, everybody listening to this podcast knows that Billy Mitchell, you know, got the ban hammer. Um, but Steve Weeby. There's a lot of quotes here. Uh, I guess I have two quotes here. So Steve Wiebe from King of Kong fame states, I'm happy I had my time. The score I got back in the day was a good score. I'm fine with where I fit in the records. Yeah is this like the nicest normalist person like you've ever, like he just seems like this just super normal chill guy. Like yeah. he spent a couple years of his life in the mid two thousands doing this thing. And, um, he doesn't have this ego where 12 years later he needs to be back on top. Like he's just, I'm um, he's fine.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's, if If these names are if you're listening to this, you're like, "Who are you guys talking about uh King of Kong is a documentary you should check out and watch and then you'll you'll be up to speed on all of this, but I still think back to that heartbreaking moment where he he kind of breaks down and he just wants he just wants the recognition and it's frustrating now in hindsight to to watch what he went through and how they you know, wanted to go inspect his cabinet. It's sad
0: to know that during those events in 2006 or seven, that everything Steve Weeby was doing ended up being legitimate and everything that Billy Mitchell was doing was illegitimate. But the way that the powers to be handled that was completely opposite. Everything Steve Weeby did was treated with suspicion and everything that Billy Mitchell did was treated as gospel and here we are 14 whatever years later 10 years later 11 years later determining that oh my god it was the complete opposite right like they were just wrong in every way and their uh, moral was, compass was messed
1: up yeah yeah and i guess you just get comfortable and and i think the thing with twin galaxies too was it was about protecting their you know they had a stake in this they were when a news outlet needed a face to represent a high score in gaming or what does this mean for gaming or whatever, you know, they, they could represent some part of that or at least a competitive part of, uh, of, of the gaming community. And so I think they wanted to keep the the stardom that, you know, whether they were, it, it was intentional or not, you know, there's definitely that inclination of, well, Bill and Mitchell Mitchell's the face of, of some of this. And, He's the Donkey Kong guy, and you know we can trust him and uh, it's disappointing to to watch what happens and I guess with anything in sports and, and anything like this, you just you know the old Ronald Reagan quote, but like trust but verify, you know um, you, you you can you can say, and it seems like that's the uh, the method that Twin Galaxy has. You can submit a high score, but if, it call, if someone calls it in a question It can come under review and and people can say whether or not, uh, you know, they can look into it and figure out if something's right or not, at least now.
0: Yeah. So that's two. That's Billy Mitchell and Todd Rogers. So I think it was what Time magazine that had the picture of like those 17 gentlemen sitting in the streets of Iowa. Two of them are now erased from the history books. So, of course, Billy Mitchell had a response. He was at the Midwest Gaming Classic, which I think was last weekend, and uh, I did not go. We had a blizzard, which I sent you some pictures of. We got a foot of snow, and uh, I wasn't planning on going to the Midwest Gaming Classic. The ticket price is just a little too steep for me, and the the vendors don't really have a lot of deals anymore. Everything is priced pretty competitively, so that kind of thrill of the hunt uh, isn't the same as it was in 2011 when I went for the first time, yeah. and then, uh, then after getting dumped on with a foot of snow, there was no way I could leave my house, so that kind of just sealed the deal for me, but Billy Mitchell did make it. From Florida to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and, uh, that's kind of, I, I mean, I know it's all ego-driven, but, like, kudos to him for showing his face. I mean, I, I, I don't cheat, so I don't really know the mentality, but, like, I, I don't think I would speak to the public for, like, a year. <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I, are you cheating on this podcast? I don't know how I do that, but (laughs) I I just, well, I remember we talked about this when, when the, uh, the other, the earlier scandals started happening and it's like, what is that mindset? And, and I think part of it is you, I think, I think these guys get sort of addicted to it. It becomes a, a little jolt of fame every single time they break a record or something like that. And so. Uh, and, you know, and you're able to build a reputation and a business off of, off of this maybe. Um, and so it, it becomes, uh, this thing and, and maybe you can lie to yourself and tell yourself that, that it's not really cheating or something, you know? I, well,
0: I let's, let's, before we get to that, let's get Billy Mitchell's response that he did give from the Midwest gaming classic. He says, we will show that everything that has been done, everything was done professionally, according to the rules, according to the scoreboard, the integrity that was set up, the integrity that was set up. Everything will be transparent. Everything will be available. I wish I had it in my hands right now. I wish I could hand it to you, but it but it has taken a considerable amount of time. Witnesses, documents, everything will be made available to you. Nothing will be Withheld. God, he talks weird. You absolutely have my commitment to that. We've been at this since 1982, and it is not going to stop now. So I think he's insinuating that he's going to have proof that, well, I would assume the Donkey Kong records were legitimate, and maybe whatever else he, you know, Donkey Kong Jr., perhaps, I know he had a lot of records, but he actually gave an official statement to the public.
1: Here's what I'll say if he can produce the board and it recreates the exact same frame by frame that that put him in as a cheater then you know he i I would see no reason why not to reinstate his records and be like we're sorry we've made a huge mistake but i think that's very unlikely to me that's the only way he can get um get his name cleared is if he has the board and you can turn that thing on and play it and sure enough those frames are recreated exactly the same way as the particular mame emulation that so that has been proven
0: if to- i was a
1: donkey kong world
0: champion and i had the arcade cabinet in my garage or my basement or i had the board that i set the world record on i don't think i would ever get rid of that board would you no you I- would take it with you to your grave
1: yeah that's something that i would say would fall under like heirloom territory which you know it's a family thing and look look at what i've done kind of thing
0: so if somebody accused you of cheating or somebody accused me of cheating it would be trivial to turn on the machine (laughs) (laughs) get a whip out my iphone or my android i don't have an iphone i just that's the easiest way to say it whip out my iphone and uh turn it on take slow motion video with my iphone x or whatever and then pop it on the internet for everybody to investigate case closed it would take 30 minutes of effort
1: end of story like it should be that simple and that's the thing Witnesses, documents—you don't need any of that, dude. Uh, turn on, you turn just on, the, board on and, the machine. Right, <laughs> the iPhone does
0: slow mo, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this
0: is like, yeah. So clearly, this is what I think is going to happen. And when I played Pokemon, we had a term called rule-sharking, and I alluded to this when I talked about that game of Pokemon I played, where after the first game, I realized my opponent had only played with 58 cards instead of 60, and he basically felt... Um, I can't say how he actually felt. I assume he felt that I was rule sharking him, um, you know, to get my victory rather than outplaying him. So I played with 60 cards. He played with 58. I win, even though I technically, well, no, I technically won, even though I did not, you know, take six prizes first. I would imagine my opponent felt like I was rule sharking him to get my victory. I think that is what Billy Mitchell is going to do here. I think he's going to say, well, in 2006, having a main, you know, PC inside of an arcade cabinet counted as being an arcade machine. So therefore, my 2006, you know, 1989, 1993 VHS tape was accurate to the rules at the time. I think he's going to do something scummy like that. Some like weird slime ball thing.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, I mean that in, based on his language that he's used it, it, it and <laughs> the, the burden of like the, the idea that he's got documents and witnesses and, and that kind of thing it's clear. He's going to, he's going to do something along that line. Um,
0: is that a good explanation of Rule Shark or I no? Think, I think so.
1: I think so. I think it's, you know, you got to be gonna careful. you going
0: to say, oh, I made this VHS tape in 1988. And in 1988, you didn't know that there was no name in 88. I don't know when name was created. Man, I, I don't said, know, well, In man. 1997, you we, didn't need to use an arcade board to set the Donkey Kong world we record. Live
1: in, we live in such a weird time where you can say something patently false and continue to say it. And so long as you keep saying it like you believe it, it seems to be okay.
0: <laughs> so yeah.
1: it it just seems like maybe if he just keeps going this route I, I don't know you know
0: he's just gonna say it cause there will yeah I just hey, what a weird guy I honestly I there's little but, doubt in my mind that he just he this, didn't this, the thing is a donkey, su- he submitted a score that was not on an arcade board which was what the rules were and he he just didn't do it i think it's pretty obvious
1: well and now he's now he can go around and get an interview with ign or one of these other oh, yeah. gaming outlets and be the guy who <laughs> cheated at, at donkey kong who's you know i'm gonna clear my name you know and 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 get uh another round of uh Free press in a way. Oh, he sells damn hot sauce. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I need to get some.
1: Yeah, we we need to try
0: this hot sauce and then, yeah. Can you buy it on Amazon? What is it? Do you know?
1: I, I... It's easy to find, you know. Google search will bring yeah, it. Up. I suppose. And, I don't uh, know offhand. Yeah, I wouldn't buy it from the source just for fear of getting uh, a tainted. Uh... Oh, I hear I stole. <laughs> He's your like thing. got a list of names and addresses if they ever order. He's like, all right, they're getting the special sauce. Oh
0: man, <laughs> I'm sorry. I stole your cabinet thing. I see here now. Oh no, it's fine. I stole your point. You said it, not me. You <laughs> it's... wrote it down before I said it. Yeah, no, I think is what else could he possibly do? I mean, yeah there's nothing else to say, right? If he had a board, he would film it case closed, but he exactly doesn't. yeah he has he has he has documents
1: he has binders <laughs> full of <I> don't know. <laughs> he's got witnesses yeah
0: he's got witnesses, binders full of witnesses <laughs> he's got affidavits
1: it's it's just crazy oh man, what so, a tool I mean, you know, I'm going to. If he wants to show the cabinet, that's where I'm like, all right, dude, I, I, sorry I said anything and I'm a fool and I should have known better. That's the cabinet and the board. That's how you prove it. But I just think that's so unlikely because these, the way that it runs in hardware is different than the way that it runs in, uh, in emulation. And so, uh, there's gives, there's tells on, on the stuff and, uh, they they were there. So. He was caught doping. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. So he's like, you know, but you know, after,
0: the, after the bike race, he's like in a secret room getting a blood transfusion.
1: <laughs> exactly. Trying not Do you ever out.
0: watch that? There was a documentary, another one on Lance Armstrong.
1: Uh, I haven't. No. It's I a, think that,
0: that is the most fascinating tale of cheating. Like he, put, he puts Billy Mitchell to shame. Yeah. Like Billy Mitchell is a saint compared to Lance Armstrong.
1: Well, and but it's interesting because it does, there seems to be a relationship between you as something greater than yourself and the likelihood of cheating go hand in hand in a way where it seems like once you become celebrity, that's when it can happen to somebody. Maybe you were honest your whole life, but it seems like when you hit a certain level of, uh, like you've got a certain fandom or something like that, you want to keep it going. You're your incentive to keep it going is higher than your incentive to be an 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 outright honest or moral person and so you start to cheat and and i've got to think that part of that is you're telling yourself it's okay and that's that's part of the deal for these people to get, be able to go through this and, and be able to swallow that pill
0: which is in such a stark contrast to Steve Wiebe the score i got back in the day was a good score i'm fine with where it fits in the records it's just night and day
1: yeah and speak Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I'm just saying he gets to come away. His hands are clean. He's an honest man. And, uh, you know,
0: that's that. King of Kong, round two. Somebody's got to be doing that. I could see that happening. I wonder if Billy Mitchell has a camera crew following him right now. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Oh, Oh, he should go on the Ben Heck show, just like the Rogers guy. (laughs) I mean, that's just where your career ends. It dies on the Ben Heck show. (laughs) Did you watch that video with Ben Heck and the dragster? Yeah. That was painful mm -hmm. in hindsight. Yeah. Alrighty. Speaking of YouTube, I wanted to talk a little bit. I've seen some, you've probably seen him too, some tweets from content creators that seem more discouraged than usual lately. Have you noticed that at all lately?
1: Yeah, I've noticed on, like, if you were to say there was a morale output for, for uh, content creators on YouTube, it does seem to be on a downward trajectory. There seems to be
0: definitely some people that are not, Um, um I guess, uh, yeah, they're just feeling discouraged. I don't know if there's a better way to put it. So I thought I would talk a little bit about my thought process and maybe some inspirational words to the YouTube content creators that listen to this podcast um, that are small or medium or what have you. I consider myself small. Um, I think we just hit 13,000 yesterday, which seems like a lot until you have 13,000 and then you sort of realize how few that actually is. Um, But I wanted to give three tips and they're all related to each other. The first tip is that the content you create matters. Um, The topic that you create matters, Um, being relevant or not. I I mentioned earlier Shenmue. If I was going to do a Shenmue video, it would be around the time when Shenmue HD is released because that's when it's going to be the most relevant. Um, But this is a little harder with classic games or retro games because, you know, you don't... Yeah, it's just harder because... Rayman 2 and Rayman 3 aren't going to be re-released anytime soon, but I noticed my Rayman 2 video did pretty poorly, and my Rayman 3 video did a lot better, and I thought that was really strange. So in the first 48 hours, my Rayman 2 video only got about 2.7 thousand views. My Rayman 3 video, which tomorrow at about 8 a.m. will hit 48 hours, uh, will be around 4,000 views. Now, my first thought was that was really weird, because Rayman 2 sold significantly better than Rayman 3, so logic would dictate that a video about Rayman 2 should be far more relevant than Rayman 3. But that isn't the case. And it kind of goes back to something I said on a few episodes ago, and that is who is watching YouTube? What is the age of the average YouTuber and what are they nostalgic about? And Rayman 2 came out in 1999 on the Nintendo 64. Rayman 3 came out four years later in 2003 on the GameCube, PlayStation, and Xbox. And I think that the people that watch YouTube right now are... You know, they have the nostalgia for those PS2, Xbox, and GameCube games, and the people that played Rayman 2, you know, four years prior are buying houses and having kids and don't watch as much YouTube.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me.
0: So, despite Rayman 2 being selling more, it's less popular today than Rayman 3. So, Rayman 3 in the first 48 hours will do about 150% better. Now, the video quality of both of these is pretty much identical. The scripts are the same amount of words. The videos are only a minute or two different as far as length goes. Like, the there everything about these two videos is pretty much equal, except for what year the two games came out. So, that is. what is what people, yeah, what are YouTubers nostalgic for? It's probably not something you know that came out in '99, it's probably something that came out more recent because, again, we're all getting older. Now, speaking of topic and content mattering, just as a contrast, Sonic Unleashed had 10,000 views in the first 48 hours. So all of these videos had a similar amount of work go into them. Um, and yeah, there's a huge difference between 10,000 and, you know, 4,000. So yeah, what you're actually talking about matters. You cannot force anybody. Well, I can't force any, I'm sure big YouTubers can do whatever they want, but being a small YouTuber, you can't force people to care about more obscure things. It's just not possible.
1: Make sense. thoughts on that yeah um so yeah kind of in between like part of reading reading between the lines too of what you're saying is is like you put in the same amount of work for t- two different videos one gets more views than the other you know you've got to look at okay if i want to be successful at this and views do matter then I've you've got to look at those numbers and say, what is different about these two things? If I'm putting in the exact same amount of work, what is different about this? And, and playing the numbers and running the numbers and, and, and analyzing it and thinking about it isn't a waste of time. You know, if, if you're spending like 40 hours, if you're counting game time, editing, you know, 40, 60 hours to make a video, 30 minutes to sit down and look at your past and learn from it as far as what, what content you've produced and go, okay, something's not working here and something is working here. And, and what is it, you know, even, even on a video level, you can open up, you know, on YouTube, you can open these videos up and you can see exactly where your drop off is at and go, okay, is it my, is it my energy? Is, is it the editing? Is there something I could do or change that would, would keep that, you know, keep that going, uh, that retention higher. And so I think that's like, that's, um, between, between what you're saying here too, that's, that's an element of that is to, to, you're spending all this time making these videos. So take, take the time to sort of look at the numbers and, and don't be afraid to, to put a little bit of time into analyzing what's, what works and what doesn't. And, and the reasons why.
0: For the people that care about views and subs. Exactly. Obviously, there's some people that don't. And well, yeah, sorry for wasting your time. But <laughs> I've, I've just I've seen a lot on Twitter lately. People seeming very discouraged that the videos that I make now are getting less views than the videos I made a year ago. Why is this? Well, there's reasons. It's not because YouTube is evil. It's because it's, it's all the audience. Everything is the audience. The reason why PewDiePie is so big Is because there are 60 million people that want to subscribe to him. So, you know, ultimately it is the audience.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm sure if he started reviewing Sega Genesis games, the view counts would drop. Like, (laughs) as sad as that is to say. So moving on. So the content or topic matters. Um, I'm also learning that tags really matter as well. So sometimes I watch some, uh, what I said, studio mud prints. Sometimes I'm just stunned at how few views they get. And I keep wanting to look at what tags they're using, but I don't think I have that plugin anymore to see what they're using, but tags absolutely matter. And even to similar extent, playlists matter. So I like to, after I have a video, you know, go, I like to then watch that video and see what... YouTube plays as the next video and what it's suggesting. And I will tell you, you know, if you go to, if you watch anybody, you will see that most of the suggested videos are going to be the same content from that creator. So like when I review Sonic the Hedgehog, obviously I have some common tags in there. Sonic the Hedgehog, implant games, you know, platform video game. And so Since I have a lot of videos that have those same three tags and the retention on all of them is about the same, those videos, you know, get suggested. So if somebody watches my Sonic Unleashed video, they're probably going to watch three or four other Sonic videos, hopefully. And they're all in the same playlist as well, which kind of tells YouTube and its algorithm how I want people to view these and it gives them information. Now, when I did Rayman 3, there's a level of world in this game that looks exactly like Spyro the Dragon, like the same color palettes the same jewels. Like it looks like Spyro the Dragon. It's uncanny. And I referenced this in the video and I thought, eh, you know, Rayman's not that popular. What are some games that are sort of similar to Rayman? And I have those as tags as well. So one of those is Spyro the Dragon I used as a tag um so that you know people that are watching Spyro the Dragon videos might want to you know check out Rayman 3. it's the same genre same time frame and sure enough when I you know here we are day after the video is released I look at what videos are suggesting my content the top two are uh, ant dude recently did a review of Spyro a hero's tale and sure enough most of my suggested you know, views those external views from non-subscribers are coming from an ant dude video which is pretty sweet would that have happened if i didn't have the spyro the dragon tag maybe maybe not and then the other top one that was interesting is kid Icarus. that's about half a million subs um pretty good youtuber actually both ant dude and kid Icarus are pretty good um, he recently did a video called 10 more unpopular gaming opinions and yeah his video is sending me viewers which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So those tags really, really matter. So try to think about what people might search for. And if nobody cares about, you know, some obscure game, then your tags should be things that are popular. So if you're reviewing some NES game that, you know, is a platformer that nobody's ever heard of, you should probably tag, you know, Super Mario Brothers 3, Kirby's Adventure, a few games that, you know, that are not your game, but my would pull would be interested would be interesting for people that are fans of those games if that makes sense
1: makes sense yeah totally makes sense to me and uh the one thing the like pro tip that i'll say on this is y- you mentioned some of those plugins and stuff that that you can install and, and it some of them will let you peek into people's keywords and things like that yeah what you're doing when you when you authorize an app like that is you're also saying hey you can look at my keywords and publish those as well so people can see what i have as my keywords so what you might want to do if you don't care so much about the the analytics that'll give you if you're only wanting to kind of spy peek onto people's keywords is to make another youtube account that doesn't have any videos that you're not actually using for any real YouTube content creation, and and have that one that you give the authorization to, so that if you're wanting to play like a little bit more of a competitive angle, they don't get to peek into your keywords and tell everyone else what your keywords are as well. So if you do use those those apps, and some of them, uh, some of them will cost uh, money. Um, that that want to authorize uh, full access to to your account, it's something that you may may want to consider. If all you're really curious about is the keywords that other people are using um, to kind of get an idea of maybe my keywording is bad. And, uh, that's one of the hardest things about SEO in general. I mean, I've done a lot of web, uh, web stuff and you, it's easy to think about, like, you have to imagine what, what do I need to search to find this video? And if it's just Rayman three, it's like, well, that's not going to work, you know? So you've got to think about what, what, things would people be searching besides that 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 might get me the a longer tail of of uh viewerships and stuff uh and and draw my video up uh near the top and that's a lot harder to to really kind of nail down
0: well i would imagine google
1: youtube
0: bing whoever are also purposely designing their algorithms so that somebody can't just abuse it with seo techniques like i would imagine the seo techniques search search engine optimization techniques from twenty ten are completely irrelevant in twenty eighteen.
1: Right. And I think I think the trend that that's why view time uh retention time is retention. so important. Yep. Um and and uh so if you think about people's viewing habits, the reason why YouTube worked when it was smaller chunks of uh time back in the day was because the way that we consumed we were on, you know, 360 P resolution we were on dial-up or you know some people <laughs> Slow were low
0: broadband dsl
1: exactly so as the technologies change people's watch patterns have changed as well and youtube's clearly seen the winds blowing that the for whatever reason the people that watch longer videos tend to stick around longer which is like well no duh in some ways but then it's also like for whatever those viewers are that those are the people who are going to be watching youtube like they watch. Like people used to watch television. And so you do want like in order for you to bubble up more on SEO, I imagine that retention time plays a big factor in whether or not people are going to stick around. And I think well, let
0: me let me get sidetracked off that point and that is when you are small it's very I f- I still find it very easy to want to take a shortcut like well not very many people are going to watch this so why should I slave 40 or 50 hours into a video that very few people are going to watch and it's like well <laughs> because you're not making the video for today you're making the video for 3 years from now if you're not making a video that is worth a hundred thousand views or a million views then you're not going to get a hundred thousand or a million views like you have to you can't cheat retention you have to make engaging quality content even if nobody's going to watch it for the next year
1: yeah and you know I I was uh while you were talking a bit I was kind of doing some research because there's a couple of uh, gaming youtubers that Um, To me, they're doing something that works because it's so different. And that's how you get that retention is it's it's something fresh. And Arlo is. uh, um, So, I mean, he's got a little Muppet. (laughs) He's a talking Muppet (laughs) and he's he's focusing on one specific thing, which is like Nintendo games in particular. Um, But there's something charming about his that whole presentation. And, and, you know, he's family, family friendly. And I do think that that, that counts a lot too on YouTube more and yeah. more. Um, but it's something that, you know, as a dad, it's something that I can put on and there's a talking Muppet for my kid.
0: That's awesome. <laughs>
1: and, and it's like, you know, he's, he's, so there's that, that interesting, uh, thing that is going to make you sort of more shareable, I guess would be uh, another shareable is a good
0: like, look at, let's talk about Vince 19 who left us, uh. Uh, That's the same Vince 19, right? That's just the sweet. And so I imagine the retention rate on his videos is probably well above 50%. It's probably like 60 or 70% because he's talking about things that nobody has ever discussed on YouTube before. Like it may not seem like much now, but if anybody ever cares about video games and analytics in the future, I mean, his videos are going to be the first ones people stumble upon.
1: Well, anybody who wants to link to factual like stats to settle an argument. Yeah. His his videos are going to be the one that people are going to paste into their. Into I will their chat never window.
0: say the 3DO sold two million units ever again. I will say <laughs> one million units.
1: Yeah, and then just another YouTuber that uh, I've I've stumbled across, and I, I think he's pretty um, has a pretty large following. But Nakey Jakey, I don't know if you've ever seen his <laughs> stuff. But, no, but I would change my name. <laughs> <laughs> but his videos, he, I mean, right now he's sitting on. A pregnancy ball, one of those b- ball chair things. Yeah, <laughs> at a green screen with a tiny Casio keyboard, and he talks about a game, and he'll play like a little ditty, and kind of like something about the entire his his. His presentation and the whole thing, and he, and it's all nostalgia driven. And he takes these interesting angles and verticals at like looking at at that kind of uh, looking back on games a certain way and talking about the good old days and stuff like that. But his approach is so unique and interesting that it's fresh. And I think that's another thing that that can't be understated is 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 trying to come at something um, from a, from a fresh angle. And that, you know, I've, we've kind of, I think we've both sort of made jabs at the guy, you know, wall of games behind you. Yeah. uh, And it's like, it's the problem isn't that you're a collector and that you have all these games and stuff. The problem is, is that everyone makes videos like that. So how can they even remember who you are? And, and that's where it's like, you've got to come up with, with new angles. And I could name a bunch of guys that are doing that, that are doing it from, from kind of a, Uh, an interesting perspective but a lot of people aren't and so it's it's like something you've got to have something that that is sort of like a bit different too. I think there's like a little bit of magic that you've got. Yeah. Make something
0: that no one's seen before. Make something that's shareable. Like if you have a mediocre review of Castlevania, whatever, nobody's going to share it. If you make an amazing review of Castlevania, whatever people will share it. People will discuss it in forums. People will use it as a point or counterpoint in a Twitter argument. Like if you just have a generic Hi, I'm Bob sitting behind a, a bunch of, you know, a wall of NES games. And I think Castlevania is the greatest NES game ever. Yeah, people people have clicked off after 45 seconds. Nobody wants yeah. to hear that. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody's going to share that. It's that retention on that video. The first hundred views are going to be bad and nobody will ever find it. In search. It's just don't even do it. Sorry, did I kill it or No, did I? no. Okay. Um,
1: and that's when I when I started getting a lot of viewers when I was live streaming back when I was doing that the, the trick that I found when I I hit the the mother load with uh Mario Maker because what would happen is people would tweet out their level and say, "Hey, I made this Mario Maker level." And they've got what like 64 followers or something like that. And what I would do is while I was live streaming, I would just I would have a filter on on Twitter and just whatever the latest uh, codes are that go up, I would take, take that code, put it in and then reply to the person and say, Hey, I'm playing this right now. Here's my link. <laughs> and what happens is they're like, Oh my God, this guy's playing my video. And then they would retweet it and they might not have the most followers, but v- those translate into actual views. And so they there. You can think about, think about the ways that you use the internet. What makes you share something? What, what, compels you to do that you're choosing to do that all on your own most call to actions i've never responded to like people are like you know hit this and follow this and do that it's smash that subscribe exactly it's it's not that that makes me do it it's something else and that something else is like that's you know that's where that if you can hit that i think that's where a lot of a lot of that success can could be
0: humor could be charisma yeah could be a lot of things Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of genius. That's really funny that you would do that. That's brilliant. And it got to a point, what happened (laughs) Hey man,
1: I'm playing your your level right now. Here's my link. Exactly. That's awesome. (laughs) And then what happened was I got so many viewers that I then just took that and ran with it where I was like, all right, here's a website. It's a form, put in your code and a description of your level and I'll get to it when I have a chance. Because it got so big that I didn't even need to pull anyone in anymore. They were bringing people to me Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting how it does have, there's that like snowball effect on some of this stuff. If you do, if you hit it, if you find, if you find that like nugget of like that shareability, that, that findability that, that can happen with the way that social media works, then then it kind of has this doubling effect. My final
0: good advice, my, I don't want to dismiss that. Oh,
1: no. Sorry. Okay.
0: (laughs) My final third point that ties all this together is that the thumbnail and video title absolutely matter. So if we think I made this Rayman 3 review, somebody just finished watching their Spyro, a hero's tale review on Ant Dude, or somebody is watching 10 more unpopular gaming opinions on Kiddercarus. They're looking at that wall of 12 thumbnails And that's like your moment to get new subs. Like you have to have a thumbnail that's better than the other 11. Right. And I think something that some people, some people need to get over a fear of, they need to get over the fear of, of clickbait. You need your thumbnail to entice or bait a viewer into clicking on your thumbnail. Yeah. And if your thumbnail follows some sort of honor code that nobody else is following, you're doing a massive disservice to yourself. Or if your thumbnail look like looks like it was created in MS paint, um, you know, it nobody's going to click on it like that is your moment to shine. Like you did it all. You made a worthwhile video. You've finally it's getting suggested by the algorithm like you need you're competing with your colleagues. You're competing with your peers and you need to do a better job than them or you you've lost an opportunity. You can't you can't waste that. It's so important.
1: It's the equivalent to if you're older, you can think of it as channel surfing. And what makes you stop and watch that channel? Oh, is, there you go. Well, there's a big part of it is, well, there's no commercial, but like if I'm ten years old in nineteen ninety and I'm flipping through channels and someone's covered in green slime, I'm gonna stop and go, <laughs> What is this? I'm watching this. And so that's you know, that's part it's definitely um, what gets people to stop scrolling or to look, you know, on those suggested videos, like you're saying and go, boom, I'm watching this. Uh, one thing I will say with the thumbnails is, <clears throat> and I, I almost want to share this cause I have something for this, but consider the way that your thumbnail looks on all types of platforms. If you have a PS4 install YouTube on there and, and look at what, what, Specifically what I'm saying is look at what parts of the thumbnail are covered. By so the
0: timestamp and yeah, other things. All
1: that stuff, right? And sometimes they're cropped and re and, and resized a certain way. And you can make a heat map. Uh you can do this in, in Photoshop where you make a layer that's black black bars or something that cover that that's on top of everything else that you turn on and you go, these are the spots that are guaranteed on one of these platforms to be blocked out. And just consider that when you're producing your thumbnail and you can kind of narrow it down based on where your viewership is at. If you're finding that you're getting mostly views on mobile, then focus your thumbnails on for the mobile platforms because something about whatever it is about your videos, you're getting more views on mobile or, you know, something you can kind of tailor it to whatever happens to be drawing your audience in. But you like, you can kind of make a heat map and go, these spots are sort of the no go zones where I can put stuff in there, but whatever it is that I need to attract someone's eye to, I'm, guaranteed within more in the middle of the frame of the of the thumbnail to pull people in it's even more
0: basic than that if your text is too small then nobody can read it when it's suggested if it's just like some uh, yellow text over a blue background like nobody or a green background nobody can read it if it if it looks like an amateur made it then people are going to assume the video is amateurish yeah it's it's even more like well there's (laughs) you look at my thumbnails now that i the logo takes up like two-thirds of the thumbnail the video game logo yeah and there's because no matter how small it is because like you said most people actually watch youtube on their phones because that's what most 13 year olds watch youtube on is a tiny screen and i find that yeah, that has actually helped quite a bit because if you're on a low-res cell phone or whatever yeah, they call them font. these days, my you can read my font. You can read my thumbnail no matter how small it is. You can read Sonic Generations, Rayman Two, Sonic Unleashed. Like it's very clear that you know when that gets popped up, people are going to know exactly what that video is all about very quickly.
1: Yeah, I would say something I've never even considered, but you just made me think of it is the possibility of of the, your color selection and color blindness. And, and I, I believe that there are filters that you can, like, I think some OS's actually have keyboard shortcuts for you to be able to turn on, like, colorblind mode and see if your colors aren't going to work for someone who might not necessarily be able to see orange on green. Or, you know, certain things like that where it might just be that your text is literally invisible to some people. So because 10% of <laughs> your audience. <laughs> But it's, it, it, I mean, you don't, it, it's not
0: rocket science like either, like have spending five hours on a thumbnail is silly. I, no. I, I, I seriously, I whip up my thumbnails 30 minutes. Right. Like and, before I the video like this last one, right? Like the video was uploaded Saturday night so that I could make sure it wasn't going to have ads taken away and I could let the closed captioning get all set up. And then Sunday morning I start working on my thumbnail. And then once the thumbnails uploaded 30 minutes later, then I finally hit publish. Like I'm not spending an insane amount of time on it, but I, it matters.
1: Well, and I, you know, one thing I wish this is just a rant now, but one thing I wish YouTube would let you do is something in in web design and in in a lot of different things it's called unit tests where you can say for 50 people show this thumbnail for another 50 people show this thumbnail i want to see what see which one gets a better reaction and you can kind of do that but your release time and how many subs you have affects how many views you're going to get in a certain amount of time so experimenting with thumbnails you you really need to have like a a science to it if you want to see does this work better than this um, I know that, uh, like the game theory guy, he's sort of obsessive about that. Like he'll test certain certain things. It's in his older videos. He talks about how he would he would do stuff like that to test what people would more likely click on. Um, but those, that stuff's all gone. Oh yeah, those.
0: if you look at the game theory thumbnails, these are the easiest things in the world to read. It is white on black, white text on black, very easy to read. A giant, yeah. I guess I've basically I've stolen the game theory <laughs> thumbnail method. <laughs> the text takes up most of the thumbnail and there is a picture of somebody's head so you know what the video is about sonic or rayman or mickey mouse and yeah i guess this is the yeah this is what i've evolved to these are brilliant
1: sweet we're gonna check
0: them out logan will win is labo crazy moon doom exclamation mark how deadly a picture of a bomb bomb Yeah. Yeah. These are, this is, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with it. This guy knows exactly what to do. And he's, yeah, every one of these has a question mark or an exclamation mark. So, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why. People get really afraid of, well, I don't want there to be an exclamation point in my thumbnail. I don't want there to be a question mark in my video title. And it's like, why? Like, do you have so much pride that you can't stick a question mark in your in your video title? Like, come on. Either. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's 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 your trailer. It's it's. You know, you can draw the line Well, yeah, you can draw your line at like I don't want to be dishonest with my title. So if you're That's gonna where you get into clickbait. Right. And
0: so clickbait is when you are yeah, you're misleading people and the quality is not good. But it's your but, sizzle,
1: right? You gotta sell the sizzle. You've gotta like you gotta make it the smell sizzle good. Sells and, the yeah, steak. Nice. Exactly. So you gotta draw This is why Matthew's mind. on the show. It's <laughs> <laughs> dropping truth bombs.
0: <laughs> uh Oh, that's so perfect. You're right. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I used to get annoyed when people would say I had clickbait, and I don't even care. It's just like, some guy was like Yeah, some guy basically said this is clickbait. I'm like, well it worked. He's like, Yeah, the video was pretty good. And I'm like, really? <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I subscribed and the video was alright. I've actually watched all of your other videos as it was well now. so, so. funny. <laughs> it was
0: just like a random like ass hat comment, so I gave it an ass hat response. He's like, Oh yeah, it was pretty good. I'm like, Well then I was right. I was right the whole time. I got your attention and you watched it and liked it. Like that's that's what it's all about. So no, I I t- Yeah, if adding a question mark to the title is going to make more people click on my thumbnail when it's up there against 11 others, yeah, you absolutely should do it. Unless you don't care, you know, about subs and views. And there's certainly people like that, and that's okay too. But I'm talking about the people that are feeling discouraged or setting themselves artificial barriers for no reason. So the content matters, the tags matter, and the thumbnails matter.
1: I think this is all really good, good, juicy stuff for people. I'm the, trying. I'm trying hard, to help. Well, the hard thing is, isn't any of this. This is work. You put in the time. You, you know, this is, you've, this is stuff you've, you need to do. The hard part, I think, for a lot of people, and what I see on, on Twitter and, and the, the, the attitude, I think, is what needs adjusting for, for some people. You've got to be honest with yourself. Cause I see some of the negativity that's coming from people are people that claim that they don't care that they're not, you know, I'm just doing it yeah. for the love. But then all they talk about is how many views and how many subs they have. And it's, <laughs> it's like, you're, true. You, you've you got to be honest with yourself and, and look yourself in the mirror and be okay with, it's okay to be vain. And, and, and to have a little bit of like, to tie yourself worth to how much you think this stuff matters. It's like, okay, so that's what you're doing. Be honest with yourself now, accepting that, what are you going to change in order to make that thing happen? And that's like that motivation and that drive. That's what's really hard to tap into for people. And I hope that listening to something like this. Is, is what can pull people into the like I can do this, I can do this and and looking at it from a from a fresh set of eyes and, and some motivation, you know? And, well
0: I imagine like you could apply that to your to your eBay, right? Like you don't set yourself up with artificial barriers about what you can and cannot do to resell. No. I mean you must maximize every opportunity.
1: Right. And and you know, sometimes you feel a little bit like a scum person in some ways, so because you could just be like to everyone, everyone you ever buy from, you could be like, you know, if you just went on eBay, you could and and go through that whole thing with them. But it's like, look, they've made a decision already with the, how much they value their time and the thing that they are selling. And so that that's where you got to be able to be OK with what you're doing. And, and it's the same with this kind of stuff. It's like. You know, oh, I feel a little dirty with the thumbnail thing and, and whatnot. It's like, well, but but that's that's how you work when you're on YouTube. That's how you make the decisions you make when you watch videos. And you can say that's not the case. But in reality, it's <laughs> like, come on, man, like look through your do you have watch history on go to your watch history and look through it. And that's going to show you a truth that you might not want to f- like recognize in, in, in actuality It's like, wow. It works on me too, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, it's, I think we've, I've said, <laughs> I think, I think you're right. It's-
0: I know. Cause neither, I know we both have names and specific examples and it is really weird when somebody one moment says youtube is screwing me over and then an hour later i don't want to make clickbait like you gotta (laughs) you're you're not being yeah you're not being honest
1: yeah and you know it's youtube could make this a lot of this has to do with the way that youtube prioritizes things that's why the thumbnails and and these things work and youtube could break their own system they could they could lean way too much in a in something that happens to be a, a a trend in viewership and, and find that that's actually not, in the long run, that actually harms the platform. But they might the not kids know it yet. start
0: making people that aren't subscribed to Paul Logan get notifications, for oh, example. Yeah. That most, you know, the people that aren't subscribed to Paul Logan didn't want that notification. <laughs> I think, you
1: know, the next time we talk about YouTube stuff, I'd love to talk about how weird it is to think that sub boxes don't matter anymore. Um, that to me is just the weirdest thing, but it's definitely how the platform is now. I, I mean, don't obviously, think so. you, obviously you I, want subs, but it's it's weird oh. when you look at your numbers. When you look at it, you're like, "Wow, my viewership actually doesn't come from like uh, percentage wise." You know, when you look at your your views and how many of those are coming from subs and not, it's really interesting. And and I'll really throw it out
0: think. there, like I th- let's just look at it right now across the whole channel. Twenty eight days. Oops, got to unlock my phone, bring up the YouTube studio app. Let's go to analytics and over the last 28 days. Oh, come on. Am I going to have to go by video? I think I am. Oh, here we go. Watch time from subscribers, not subscribed. 70.5% subscribed. 29.5. Yeah. Over two thirds of my watch time comes from people that aren't hitting subscribe and may never hit subscribe. That, but if yeah. they keep watching the videos, they're going to keep seeing it on their yeah. home screen. And
1: that's why that's why those thumbnails and those that that those titles are so important. That plays a big factor, and and you know obviously they're looking at other things too. But so can't let be me end that
0: with a disclaimer. I am not an expert. I only I know enough to know that I. You know, I have a lot more to learn and, uh, I only know how to get to 13,000 subscribers. I don't know how to get to 10 million like game theory. Um, so obviously, you know, his knowledge is going to, I, I hang on his every word when he talks about this stuff. So yeah, I only know what I know and I will never tell you what I don't know, but these three things I will say with confidence, absolutely matter. Your topics matter. Don't review an Atari 2600 game. Don't review Kirby's Epic Yarn. The tags matter. Download well, a plugin and w- yeah. see what other people use. And finally, your thumbnails matter. Do it. Right. Do what Matthew said. Look
1: at what you are
0: watching and do what they do.
1: Right. And I, the other thing I'll say is if you're a YouTuber listening, just and you're yelling at us about something and being like, but what about this? You can just like tweet at us, hashtag IPG podcast, and, and like hashtag ipg podcast chris
0: is an idiot
1: (laughs) but if you've got thoughts or other things you want to add to the to the conversation you find as like because i think a lot of people obviously listening to this are in the gaming space and everything like that and there there may be a way of of like sharing information that that we lack and that other people have and and making this something that you know can a conversation basically but I'm interested. I'm looking down here on the list of of our notes and your streaming pick really has me interested. I want you to talk about it.
0: My streaming pick is amazing. Good segue. (laughs) my streaming pick is a documentary called 808 and this is on amazon prime at least right now it's not owned by amazon so i don't know how long it'll be there and this is a documentary from 2015 and this was about or is about the roland tr8 tr808 drum machine I don't know the proper way to explain what a drum machine is. It's, uh, it's some sort of piece of like, I guess, DJ equipment or uh, music equipment, not an actual drum kit, but a machine that makes drum noises. Uh,
1: yeah, I think the other thing that it, um, that the 808 could do is, uh, samples. And that's, what's so key to the 808 and hip hop music in particular, because, uh, what, what early hip hop started doing was sampling um, jazz and drum. Uh, the reason why it's, you, you know, you've got like genre like breakbeat is because in, in uh, uh, like certain st- styles of music, the drummer would literally give the band a break by playing a bit by himself. And so that was called a break beat. And so you could take that sample and loop it and, and use that to, to build a base for, for, a track or something like that so the 808 i think was one of the ones that could do sampling as well as uh you know you had different different other elements i you don't know. i don't usually want
0: i'm going to push back a little bit i think what made the the 808 so popular was that the drum samples that it had built in
1: were off they weren't super realistic or accurate oh well yeah the sound alone yeah i totally agree with that yeah. And I, the
0: fact that they are there was something about the price of this machine, when it arrived, the odd noises it made, and then the, the way you could loop that and tweak it. And that is what made it so iconic. Not sampling somebody else's drum sounds, but the drum sounds that were in the machine already.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Because, I mean, it had a particular, like you'd have an impossible bass hit like that, that a drum could never do. And so you'd get, you could get sounds that, that just, uh, didn't exist and like the snare and like, um, all those the kinds of noise. The, right. the
0: everything was all just unique and strange and right. wonderful all at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, like you were like you were talking about, especially with the bass, it created an entire new genre of music. The the, the 808 itself created an entire new genre of music known as Acid House. And in the eighties, like there was a lot of huge bands and artists that used the TR 808, including Beastie Boys and Run DMC, Whitney Houston, even Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Like this, this machine was everywhere and being used by everything. And if you start to listen to, well, gosh, especially if you listen to Beastie Boys or Run DMC, like, oh, that's, I can hear it now, clear as day. Oh, this is like the the machine from the documentary I just saw. (laughs) And it's kind of fascinating. And it follows this, this documentary 808 kind of follows this drum machine from the where it began in japan and the guy that created it and then moves across to the united states and and how it sort of took off at the same time hip-hop was being born in brooklyn and and spreading across the country and ultimately the world
1: yeah well yeah i mean phil collins like in the air tonight like the the sound that that has like that's almost almost entirely electronic um that the it's it's interesting that that uh i mean cuz like when i was in high school i was way into electronic music and so that's the reason why i have any knowledge of like drum machines and and uh the Good. 808 in particular and and uh but the uh it's just fascinating i don't know like you're i i want to watch this because it that uh, it was this weird moment in time where we like it was a new instrument well it's even funny cuz
0: like I can think back at like all of the times in even pop music, how many times I've heard 808 and now I know exactly what it means, what they're referring to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it, it you know, the, my understanding of like the origin of like house music was based off of, uh, the idea that you were playing inside of a, um, a, a building that typically was a industrial size like a uh, metal building and so you had to be able to have a, a style of music that you could match the reverb inside the building with the snare so that you would get you wouldn't get this echoing kind yeah, of effect. i would imagine yeah and so and so that's <laughs> that be- you know i think that's really where the that house music that's the idea of of where that that the origin of that comes from and um it, it, all of these like genres on 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 this list that you have here a lot of them were out of necessity like sampling for hip hop it's like i don't know how to play music but i know that i like you know if you put a beat down and you well, do Well, i don't know how to play an instrument Right, but right, hey, I right. have this,
0: and now this is my instrument. And exactly, watch yeah. me do amazing things.
1: Yeah, and so it it's a creative outlet for people that that might not necessarily have a particular set of talents, but they still want to be creative and and you know make something new. Um, but I really want to watch this because uh, totally totally down for something like this.
0: Yeah, it, I think I feel it must cross with. Like what we talk about because obviously we listened to music in the eighties and nineties and I you know, I don't know how music cannot be an important part of your life. Even if it was just listening to the radio on the school bus on the way to work. Like it was it's always there or on the way to school. You know, it's it's always there, it's always with you.
1: Yeah. Well, it's you know, pep
0: rallies at your high school football game, like these all use pop music. Well you can't that, escape it.
1: No, and that's what nostalgia music is is a time machine. Music is if you're a gamer and you forgot about a game that you used to play a lot as a kid and suddenly you hear the soundtrack to it or something like that, you're back in your room and you can smell the smells and, and think about those moments and times and things and, and recall memories that you've completely forgotten. And music is the exact same thing. Yep. Um, it's, it, it's something about the way that you access a memory of recollection when you hear something just the same as it's a little bit different when you touch something or smell something but it, it can just be this weird sort of time machine um oh man it, yeah it's,
0: it, what, watch I, it you'll have to watch it and then come back to me but i i think it is a really well-produced documentary that that stands up as just a good film then i also happen to really like the subject matter so it's a double whammy
1: that's cool I'll, i'm definitely gonna check it out
0: check it out 808
1: amazon prime matthew what do you have so I have a movie that was uh snubbed at the Oscars not really but uh What? I, I, I don't like think broke it back a mountain. <laughs> <sighs> I don't I don't even <laughs> think it got any nominations actually uh which is I was like, wow, that's interesting after after watching it. But uh who's the girl that's in it? Um Oh great. So the movie's called Joy and uh it it's about um a mother and a wife who uh is sort of at a place in her life where she's feeling trapped and feeling like her, she's running out of time that she had these uh, kind of passion when she was younger and um, she hasn't, hasn't done anything uh, with it. Um, and she's just sort of stuck in, in a rut. And um, it's based on a true story. Uh, and I don't want to give away too much about it, but it is about the birth of the home shopping network. And about a woman who was able to take uh, her ability to invent and um, capitalize off of that, and become a very successful uh, with with her her inventions. Um, but it's 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 all about that journey, and it's it's a good film. It's but I will say it, it is at the beginning. It does feel a bit of a wreck. Um, and I'm not even joking when I say within the first five minutes, (laughs) it does feel like eight different directors and writers were just like coming in and being like, okay, now we're going to do it this way. Uh, and it feels like it can't make up its mind what kind of movie it's going to be until it gets started. It gets better over time instead of like in the third act getting worse. Um, like most, most films I feel like nowadays does, but, um, to me it's, uh, it's got like, you know, it's, it's pro-capitalist in a way, but it's also got this like feminist angle to it. Um that's it's all really interesting. Um uh Jennifer Lawrence is is the the main the main person in it. But is it's, that the Hunger Games lady? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, it's a great movie. Um I feel like the the main lesson is that is is about learning primarily learning to to trust yourself and to to be able to get your footing on on what where you should draw the line on who you listen to and who you don't and and learning to be able to sort of guide yourself in in something and um i feel like that's sort of the the main spirit of the film but it's definitely a, an interesting movie and i don't know what platforms it's free on right now i was just going to ask <laughs> um but i just wanted to kind of give a shout out to it cuz i don't not really I, I just didn't really see anybody talking about it but I've, I actually kind of liked it and uh, uh, so if you can get a chance to, to check that out two, uh, 2015 is when it came out called Joy so great it was great a good play. year
0: 808 Joy both in 2015 nice And that brings us to the Cheap Games segment of today's show. Collecting classic games can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So today we're going to talk about two games that cost $10 or less and are definitely worth your time. Two weeks ago we didn't get to these and there were two copies of Dragon Spirit for the PC Engine on eBay for less than $10 shipped. And today there are not two copies of Dragon Spirit <laughs> on eBay for ten dollars or less, including shipping. I think you can get it for twelve or fourteen, but I decided to stick with it anyway. So two weeks ago, you literally could have bought in two copies of Dragon Spirit with shipping for 20 bucks. You would have had two copies. So that means at some point in the future there will probably be a copy of Dragon Spirit uh, again for $10 or less. And I'm sorry that it's not there today, but I'm going to stick with it. So this is a vertical shmup for the PC engine. The PC engine is of course, most, uh, known today for its shooters, for its vertical and horizontal shooters. It was a great system for shooters and dragon spirit for some reason is one that I never see mentioned. Uh, maybe because it's old, maybe because it's not the most technically impressive or maybe because it's not in space. I don't know, but I played this game and I thought it was amazing you are a dragon floating or flying, you know, above various fantasy locations and shooting things. And it's kind of amazing because of how simple it is, how smooth the movement is across the screen. We're not going to have time for all that, man. All right. Um <clears throat> and uh <clears throat> i got off track so the controls are really smooth the shooting is really smooth obviously with the pc engine's turbo fire but i just love the little things like when you pick up power ups your dragon will grow a second or third head which looks pretty badass the power up system is really sm- smooth and easy to understand there are uh, ground targets and air targets that you can shoot at so it kind of has that old school 80s feel and the fact that it's so freaking cheap and the music is so good is just kind of mind blowing so for me right now if if you for some reason want to start collecting for the pc engine <laughs> um dragon spirit would be a good place to start it's a very reasonably priced high quality game that does not get enough attention it could be a hidden gem
1: nice someone's gonna what make a video so first <laughs> party <Engine> hidden gems <laughs> right. uh, first party nintendo wii game super mario galaxy i i actually can't believe this i haven't checked it since last week but um, I was seeing it uh, complete for ten dollars. Um, from some sellers. Uh, no, this is at the local shops. Wii, ten bucks. Yeah, all day. Great game. Uh, uh, Nintendo Mario platforming. I mean, come on. Uh, if you haven't played it, uh, and you have a Wii, which you probably do, uh, might as well pick it up. It's ten dollars now, and it is uh, great music, great graphics, all all the Nintendo staples. Um, only thing I'll say is the, nah. Yeah, play it <laughs> if you haven't already, but uh that's my recommendation. I can't I actually can't believe it that it's that most Nintendo games usually uh Hold their value yeah, like it. I
0: think I just saw Super Mario Sunshine for the GameCube. I believe is like a twenty-five or thirty-five dollar game. Obviously, Super Mario sixty-four is more than ten dollars. There's very few Mario Brothers games that are ten dollars or less. Um, But I we kind of mentioned it after Rayman three, the platforming genre kind of died. Yeah. Except for Super Mario Galaxy one and two, they were very prominent. And they must have sold very well. I think you can still get Super Mario Galaxy two at most walls. Walmart's. Um, you can also get Sonic Colors at most Walmart's for some reason, and Sonic Unleashed. So there you have it. But no, I I missed these games completely. I I did not buy a Wii. I did not have access to Wii games until I bought a Wii U in 2014. And Super Mario Galaxy is one of those games where I'm like, oh my god, if I had known that Super Mario Galaxy was like this, I would have bought a Wii back in the day. Like it just really if you compare this to rayman 3 the polish level is right. is just it's astounding like it's
1: yeah i would say it's the word jolly comes to mind and the gameplay hook is something that's amazing
0: um i don't think it's been replicated very well since either so no. you kind of have this uh, I, well you're on planetoid so it really messes with gravity in a way that I don't think any game before or since has really done. It's just it's a Nintendo seems to really understand the 3D platformer or Mario like nobody else and they seem to do such a perfect job of adding a gameplay twist that's relevant to the new hardware available without going too far and alienating people but going far enough to keep the fan base happy, yeah. Good totally. pick. I, I, yeah, this is nine ninety nine all day. Cool. So check it out: Dragon Spirit on the PC Engine and Super Mario Galaxy on the Nintendo Wii. Nice. Alright, Q&A time. This comes from Christian. We missed this two weeks ago and I apologize. He asks, hey guys, as you were talking about V-Rally 4, I was thinking about Sega Rally 2 for the Dreamcast and I'm surprised that it hasn't been ported to any other systems other than Windows 98 back in the day. Have either of you played Sega Rally 2? And if you have, what are your thoughts on it? I have... I believe I bought Sega Rally 2. Um, I know, I've had it forever. And the first time I played it, I didn't really like it. I thought the frame rate was super janky, and it made it very difficult to play for me. And then after you asked this question, I had the Dreamcast hooked up, and I was playing Rayman 2. And I took a Sega Rally 2 break, and I kind of came to the same conclusion. I find it very disorienting to play when the frame rate is jumping i'm sorry my cat is hacking in the background <laughs> i find it very disorienting to play when the frame rate is jumping between like 15 and 60 and i just i can't get past it so i i didn't i haven't put very much time into it but i i don't think i ever will that's a bummer that's that you have it, never played Sega rally too sir have you <laughs> no but the i recall the arcade cabinets um i am totally pulling this off of memory i don't know if this is true or not i feel like this was a windows ce port that didn't run very well on the dreamcast and that's why it's so shoddy Uh, i may be wrong i feel like that's what was well that's what people said back in 2000 and 2001 i don't know if history proved that to be true or not but that's what i remember from back in the day
1: Makes Because that so was that... just a
0: sloppy Windows port and it was, yeah, it just, it runs poorly and I don't like it. So, Christian, if I should get over that and there is a game as deep and wonderful as the original Sega Rally, let me know and maybe I'll, I'll have to revisit.
1: Cool. So this last question, um, <laughs> are you, do, you, do you have any uh, info or answers on it? I have a confession. Uh-oh. Right? <gasps> Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, St- Stephen Eider uh, on Twitter asks, is the new God of War actually any good? My confession is, I've never played a God of War game. <gasps> I assume you have played a God of War game? Um, only in casual nature at friends' houses. I've never, I never um, inhaled. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Um... <laughs> No, but I, I've only played at, at friends' houses and stuff like that. I've never actually uh sat down and, and played one all the way through. So I'm I'm uh I've only uh I've only tried but I never inhaled. There you go. <laughs> God right of that's Um, so the reason why I
0: have never played a God of War game is because after the Dreamcast died I kind of turned into a Sony hating bastard and I just (laughs) never bought any Sony consoles so I went from the Dreamcast to the Xbox to the Xbox 360 to the Wii U and kind of never I never dabbled in the Sony hardware and so I never played a God of War game now obviously now I don't really have that kind of fanboyism in me anymore Um, I'm still Loyal to Xbox in a way. Um, most of my friends are still on Xbox Live. They, I don't think Microsoft has ever lost my credit card number. Just little things like that kind of keep me in the Xbox camp. Um, maybe it's Halo. I don't know. Um, so now I own a PSP. Um, I've always owned an original PlayStation. I have a PlayStation Two, and I think that's where God of War started. Or am I wrong?
1: Yeah, PS2. I believe.
0: And then uh, I have a PS TV as well. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm not anti Sony like I used to be, but because of the Dreamcast dying, I just never bought Sony hardware and and missed out on that series. I was I was playing Halo and Halo Two instead.
1: Yeah, I'll admit, like the the style of gameplay uh, for for that era, the um, like Devil May Cry, Bayonetta combo driven thing where you're doing a lot of memorization of like button orders and things like that which i believe is is part of uh the god of war series those style of games for me i've never been able to get into them and i believe the new one the combat system takes a, a drastic you know a new direction with that so it's not quite the same but like that juggling stuff um just wasn't my my cup of tea I guess you could say. See,
0: I know I should probably buy this and play it. Like, I... I played Van Helsing on the Xbox, and it's a—I uh, loved it. I'm like, oh my god, I should play Devil May Cry. I think at, at Walmart there's the Devil May Cry HD collection on Xbox One. I'm like, I should really buy that. But it makes me like think, oh my god, you know, how many games do I play today? And because I don't know God of War, am I missing something? Am I sounding like an idiot because I don't understand what this game did for everything moving forward? So. I should really get on it, but no, I honestly, I, I've just, I never played a God of War game. Should that be the title of the show? I had the Macarena of Gaming, but maybe it should be, I've never <laughs> played God of War.
1: I don't know. I like the Macarena of Gaming. That's a, that's a, that's, <laughs> it's clicks. You're not thinking about the clicks. Oh, that's true. God of War. Well, we got to go with God of War. Then. Or
0: Billy Mitchell is a, I don't know, something. Is
1: we could put <laughs> God of War and Macarena of Gaming question <laughs> mark?
0: Will that fit in 280? I don't know. I don't know what it will be, but you will all find out in about one hour. And that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave a comment or question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Implant. Michael is at Cricket, K-R-I-K-I-T, and use hashtag IPG Podcast. Otherwise, leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Implant Games or the website ImplantGames.com. And until next time, guys, have a great two weeks.
1: See ya. Almost two hours on the dot.